0: Welcome to a James Brindley Academy podcast to learn more about our Academy head to www.jamesbrindley.org.uk You can download all of our podcasts via the website or stream them on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Claire Hopley. I'm a mental health nurse. I work for James Brindley Academy So we support young people with social, emotional and mental health difficulties to re-engage back into education. The majority of our pupils have missed a lot of education due to their mental health difficulties. And we recognise school is an important part of of the recovery process from mental health difficulties. Not only because of the learning aspect, um, but having the opportunity to receive support, build relationships, plan for the future and simply having a routine to your day or contributes towards recovery from mental health conditions. So we know that isolation allows mental health conditions to grow. So we work closely with our pupils, their families and carers, and mental health team to learn together how to manage symptoms in school. I wanted to talk today about how we manage self-harms at James Brindley. I want to clearly separate suicidal intent and self-harm. So if a child is expressing an intent to die in school, we immediately seek help from mental services to manage this risk. So it's important that our pupils access the right service at the right time. We recognise our limitations as a service. We can help manage mild to moderate self-harm in James Brinley. This does not stop our pupils accessing education. So the National Health Service defines self-harm As when somebody intentionally damages or injures their body, it's usually a way of coping with or expressing overwhelming emotional distress. So that's how the NHS defines self-harm. So we, James Brindley, view self-harm as a physical response to psychological pain. So we know it is a symptom, not a core problem. Until the core problem is treated, self-harm is likely to continue. So in our experience, self-harm is often a symptom of trauma, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, psychosis, emerging personality disorder and eating disorders. But self-harm isn't just linked to mental illness, it is often linked to extreme feelings of isolation, stress, frustration, anger about issues being out of control, fear and guilt and shame, helplessness, self-hatred and unhappiness. If a young person does not receive support to manage and process such intense emotions, mental illness is likely to develop. So it's difficult to get an accurate statistic of how many young people self-harm, because not all incidents of self-harm are recorded. So The Royal College of Psychiatrists report around 1 in 10 young people self-harm at some point in their life, and 1 in 3 will do it again. So self-harm is most common in young women aged 13 to 24 years old, prisoners, asylum seekers, people that have experienced physical, sexual, emotional abuse, and veterans. So the LGBT community also have higher reports of self-harm compared to other communities. And this is thought to be due to distress following experience of discrimination and isolation. Self-harm does not always mean a person wants to die. Self-harm is often to help change the intensity of feelings, communicate distress when words cannot be found. and it's a temporary relief. it brings temporary relief to really intense emotions. I've worked with many young people that have told me self-harm is helping them stay alive. It is a coping strategy for them at that time in their life. Self-harm can change can change the intensity of feelings. Some pupils have explained following self-harm, they feel relief and a buzz. So this is because of the physical effects that occur in the body following self-harm. So when the body experiences injury, it releases endorphins. And this is the body's natural painkiller, which induces a pleasant feeling and it reduces emotional distress. So it's understandable why self-harm can become repetitive and addictive, when a young person has found a way to experience temporary relief from intense psychological pain. The types of moderate, mild to moderate self-harm that some of our pupils have experienced are cutting, scratching, carving words into their skin, burning, taking overdoses, substance misuse, getting into fights when they know they're going to get hurt, hitting themselves, pulling hair, inserting objects into their body and tying things around their body. So would you say tattooing is self-harm? Smoking? Body modifications? What about plastic surgery or damaging relationships? So all will have a physical and emotional effect on us. I will leave that with you to think about. Um, It is interesting to think about what others view as self-harm. So at James Brinley, um, a care plan is written in alliance with the pupil, their family, and their mental health team to agree how we are going to manage self-harm in school. So the care plan asks the people to think about triggers and other coping strategies they have to self-soothe. So we can feed back this at times of distress. So we know when the emotional part of the brain takes over, the thinking part shuts down. So it's difficult to soothe ourselves when the, the thinking part of our brain just isn't available. So at times the people around the people around the pupil have to become the thinking part to help change the situation. So we can feed back to the pupil what helps them when when emotions are this intense and we do this by referring to the care plan. We are aware we cannot stop a pupil from self-harming in school but we can help them develop skills to tolerate distress that leads to self-harm. We do use harm reduction practices such as counting sharps in and out when being used such as tools and cooking instruments but overall our environment is not restrictive Our pupils have frequently reported to us when urges of self-harm are strong and they are unable to to cope using certain tools. This self-evaluation by the pupil is an important skill and is respected. We try and teach our pupils that this is a moment of intense distress that has peaked and will reduce. This does not have to dominate the whole day. So many of our pupils have experienced being sent home to get better from self-harm from previous schools. So so as we have said, isolation feeds mental illness and keeps us in the sick role. So we want our pupils to stay in school and start self-care. Our pupils are supported to apply first aid to themselves following self-harm with support. Most importantly, we want our pupils to learn to self-soothe, reflect on what they're responding to, validate the emotion they're feeling and question the thoughts and judgments linked to that feeling. These are skills needed to maintain good mental health and cannot be learnt in isolation. So once distress is reduced following self-harm, we encourage pupils to return to the routine of the, of the school day. The care plan clearly states sharing self-harm images, encouraging self-harm in person or via media, or self-harming in front of others is not acceptable because of the stress it causes in others. It can be like a domino effect in this environment. It's important our, our pupils learn. What they do impacts on others. This is a skill needed to maintain relationships. If we become aware this has occurred, we hold an urgent review with the people, their family mental health team to agree a plan to how to prevent this from reoccurring. We ask our pupils to cover fresh self-harm wounds in school. As pupils have reported, this can be a trigger for them. We do not ask for scarring to be covered, as this is, this is a of recovery. Our environment has to feel safe to help with recovery. So it's important to have a team to help the pupil recover from self-harm. Our pupils have a key worker and a form tutor they can review their care plan with. Any member of staff will support a pupil to manage self-harm. We will always inform parents and carers when self-harm has occurred in school and keep their mental health team informed of frequency or if self-harm acts have changed. So monitoring the severity and frequency of self-harm is often a reflection of a mental health condition improving or deteriorating. This can lead to treatment plans being changed so it's essential that we work in alliance with the pupil, family and carers mental health team to feedback what we observe in school. We will always seek immediate medical support if we feel a pupil self-harm could put life at risk even if that wasn't their intent So, for example, some of our pupils have attended school informing us they've taken an overdose the night before, but feel fine today. We would always call an ambulance to ensure a full assessment of the pupil's physical and mental health is carried out by health services. Once assessments have been completed and health professionals have said the pupil is medically fit, our pupils um, are often back in school the next day and will continue with their usual routine of school life, unless we are advised otherwise. Self-harm is documented throughout history. It is not a new symptom that our younger generation are trying to manage. But what is concerning is the rise in self-harm being recorded via the National Health Service. So from 1997 to 2007, there was an 83% increase in females under 18 accessing NHS services due to self-harm and 4.3% increase in males under 18. Some suggestions for this increase are people feel able to access self-harm Access, access help for self-harm now, whereas in the past it's more hidden. What services record as self-harm also needs to be acknowledged. So for example, experimental intoxication that has led to medical intervention has been recorded as self-harm. I've read a few research papers that have linked the rise in self-harm to the release of the smartphone and social media culture growing. Our young people are exposed to more unrealistic images and expectations than ever before. One piece of research highlighted a common reason females gay for self-harming was not feeling good enough. Females tend to use social media in isolation. Boys tend to use it in a different way, such as gaming online with friends. Adolescence is a challenging time due to the physical changes occurring, the expectation of independence, school pressures, peer pressures, becoming more aware of sexual identity And on top of this, being bombarded with fake images, fake news and unrealistic lifestyle celebrities portray on social media and often peers, which has an emotional impact on our young people. As a parent and carer, keep an interest and open dialogue in what young people are being exposed to online. So thank you for listening to part one of the Self-Harm podcast. And please join us for part two. Some of our pupils will be offering advice on how to manage self-harm from personal experiences. If you would like more information about self-harm, please go to our website at www.jamesbrinley.org.uk. We hope you found this podcast informative and interesting. To get involved in the conversation, head to our social media pages and use the hashtag #JBAPodcast. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel to never miss any of our podcasts. Thanks for listening.